2: Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you on a Wednesday as we are still in the midst of will they or won't they trade for Donovan Mitchell uh, to further discuss that topic. We bring on the one and only more than a friend of the pod, as we will discuss in the episode Uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic, he's had a couple bangers over the last several days in regards to the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes, including one yesterday in which he um, reported on some of the inner workings of the Knicks front office. We get into that. We get into where he thinks the trade landscape is and where things will go from here. So all of that coming up. Uh, Only other thing I want to say very quickly before we get to the interview, my apologies. You could probably hear it already. The audio quality is, is not quite up to our usual par, and that is my fault because, uh, ready for this one, uh, my wife and older daughter uh, are visiting family in Nashville for a few days, and I am staying with my mom here in New York, so she can give me a, a hand as I watch the, the baby by myself, by my lonesome, for, uh, I'm in the midst of a three-day run, just me and the little, the little nugget. Um, and in my haste of packing for the long, long, long trip from Brooklyn to Manhattan, I forgot my usual microphone. So uh, the, the brunt of that falls upon you, dear listener. Uh, I hope you can forgive me, um, but we will be back to our normal audio standards before you know it. Uh, I, uh, Andrew assures me it's not too bad, so I, I, don't, I don't feel too terrible. About this. But um, luckily, most of the good content coming up is coming right from Fred Katz. So you won't even mind me not having a microphone. Uh, And on that note, let's get to Fred. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast. It occurred to me today how I was going to refer to this person as because the latest low post, Chris Herring, went on. And I think I'm ready to christen. This individual as the Chris Herring of the Knicks Film School podcast, because in terms of like prestige, in terms of how excited the common listener gets when he comes on, I think it, it just it checks so many boxes. Uh, the athletics, Fred Katz. Hello,
3: sir. Well, I would never compare myself to Chris Herring. Chris Herring is a, uh, a legend in the in the Knicks beat writer circles. So I don't know just if as I, I would
2: never that. compare myself. To Zach Lowe, what I'm saying, that if we're, <laughs> if we're scaling it down.
3: Sure. Sure. Ever we're so like a, right. Like I'm like a homeless man's Chris Herring. <laughs> right. And you're like, just a, as and,
2: Jorge Soler is a homeless man's
3: uh, ML, MLB SB player of the year. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you're like, uh, yeah, that works. That is okay.
4: quite literally an inside baseball joke that nobody yes. gets, but I appreciate <laughs> John bringing it on to the podcast.
2: I, try. It I mean, look what I'm wearing.
4: Not to get off. On God, already. That's true. I'm John's wearing, wearing my a baseball, baseball like... Hall of Fame shirt. Oh, I, didn't really, I, I just see the word baseball.
2: So. It's the, it's the for when uh, Piazza and Griffey got inducted because I figured it's the, all, as we're recording this, it is the all-star game tonight, which is usually an NBA dead zone, but Nope, we're sitting here and we're talking about uh, some NBA basketball because there's some stuff going on.
4: So naturally, you're about to ask Fred not about what you the Knicks should give up for Donovan Mitchell, but what the Mets or Yankees should give up for Juan Soto is exactly. is where this is going.
3: That's true.
2: For right now, let's let's yell about the Knicks and what they should or should not do. Um, so I'll, I'm going to just start with the with the most obvious thing, which is uh, you. Fred Katz, NBA reporter. Uh, what is the latest that you've heard or what it, can you share any Intel? Can you shed any light on is this? Like, where does this thing, where does this thing stand?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think. When the Knicks and the jazz first started talking Donovan Mitchell. I, I kind of thought it was going to get to a point of a staring contest. And that's. I was. I think I was probably in the majority in thinking that, just knowing the personalities involved and knowing the Jazz is asking price for Mitchell. And I think what's really interesting about a trade like this is I think you can, you know, it's funny. I wrote about how, uh, in a story last week, about how like the Jazz have leverage here. We're going to get but, to it. But what's really interesting about a trade like this is I think, and this is kind of what I wrote about in the story this week, is I I think... Both teams can credibly convince themselves that they're the ones with the leverage. And when that happens, you just end up kind of getting into uh, you know a little bit of a stalemate. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. I I think there's a totally realistic chance that a Donovan Mitchell trade ends up going down. But right now, I think we're at a point where Utah has set a price for Donovan Mitchell that's extremely high. Exactly what that price is, I couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's exactly six picks, exactly seven picks, and something I wrote about today as well is is the number of picks is not necessarily as important as the quality of picks. There's a big difference between trading those four picks the Knicks have from other teams that are protected and like one of their own unprotected and another one of their own that's protected and trading all four picks that they can of their own unprotected. Like I think the six pick scenario versus that four pick scenario, I think the four pick scenario is actually worse for the Knicks. Uh, mortgage, mortgage is more of their future. So there's there's just a lot for them to break down and, and a lot to meet the Jazz's asking price and a lot for the Jazz to come down to beat the Knicks. Uh, so I think that's kind of where they're at and why we've seen somewhat of, of a stall here.
2: Um, I want to get back to the picks in a second, but you referenced the article that dropped, um, well, today as we're recording this, but might um, be tomorrow when people are listening to it. So you wrote about not only the state of negotiations between these two teams, but you had a fantastic insight, which I don't, I mean, it's certainly the first I've seen it reported, um, which is, and I don't want to give away the whole thing, but basically you paint a picture of a Knicks front office in which Brock Aller, who we love Brock Aller on this show, uh, J- Jeremy Cohen obviously is our own Brock Aller, Um He seems to be the person that when you call up the Knicks to um, do business with them, and you, and, you, and you specified, not, not exclusively, you mentioned Scott Perry and the, his involvement in the, the deals that went down you know, with the draft, but that for the most part, it is Aller. And um, I'll reference your predecessor, Mike Vorkanoff, who wrote a great Aller piece when he was hired. And I think he got a quote from someone that says, it was something along the lines of like, no one knows the value of every piece of paper in the NBA like, like Brock Aller does. Um, He is clearly a stickler for winning trade. I'm not going to go over the read the article. It's phenomenal, and and you give some really great behind the scenes insight and analysis and the whole thing. But you you paint so he, that's one person, and then the other side of the telephone line is Danny fucking Age, and that is his official name on this podcast from now until <laughs> the trade does or, or does not happen. And Danny fucking Age, um, man. I mean, look, people can make fun of him for all the trades he didn't make, but like the track record is what the track record is. It's impressive to me. I'm sure some would disagree with that. And I mean, my goodness, if there were ever a situation set up to be something of a step. Now, that being said, where I've kind of been thinking is like, all right, well, if you're at point A and you're at point C, and it's pretty clear what point B is, isn't it just a matter of time until we get to point B? assuming no one else jumps in here so like there's so much at play like what where do you where do you see this going from here
3: oh, it's a tough question where do i see it going i will say people people make a lot of I mean, it's like a common joke on like, oh, Danny Ainge could have traded for Paul George, or you know, the millions of other people that he could have traded, and and Boston saying, oh, we made an offer, but it's not a legitimate offer, and it's an offer they would never accept, whatever, right? And so you get into this thing of like, what's a real offer? What's not a real offer? And that becomes like the Danny Ainge joke of, okay, when it's when it's my guy, the price is super high, and when it's your guy, the price is super low, according to Danny Ainge, and that's like just been Angel's reputation for a really long time. What I will say, you don't get the passing on Paul George trade or non-trade without the, or I should say, you don't get the getting all of those picks in the KG Pierce trade. You don't get the, all those picks in the Rudy Gobert trade without the passing on Paul George trade, because it's the same mentality. The way that Danny Ainge likes to negotiate is he essentially doesn't really negotiate. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people who negotiate with him, who've worked with him, and they all describe it the exact same way, which is why I felt so comfortable writing it the way I did in the story today, which is just Danny Ainge will say, This is what it requires to get this guy. This is what it requires to get Donovan Mitchell. Call me when you're willing to give it. And then he's done and it's over. And did, uh, I don't know. I I I'm stuck between whether it's, whether it's stubborn and whether it's brilliant because it <laughs> it's like he's pulled off some of the greatest trades in NBA history because sometimes people just, it's kind of a, a home run swing way to do things. Right. And, and look, the Celtics made the title this year, first and foremost, because of the KG and, and uh, Paul Pierce trade, because oh, they, uh, yeah, you know, they are, are, sorry, made, made the, made the the finals. finals. Sorry. Thank you. Pretty big accomplishment. Uh, still. yeah, very big accomplishment and they're set up to have a great team for a really long time because they have Jason Tatum and they had Jalen Brown who were J Jalen Brown was a direct product of one of those nets picks. And Jason Tatum was an indirect product where they got the number one pick and then they traded down to three and they took Tatum. So, you know, those, those sorts of home run swings have worked for Ainge on many an occasion. And, uh, I think something will happen with Mitchell eventually. Like He's not ending this contract on the Utah Jazz. He's just, he's just not. But I, uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if a third team is going to slide in and say, you know what? This is taking a long time. Let's see if we can scoop something up. I don't know if it's going to be Miami, who we've heard a ton about, but I think is also concentrating on Kevin Durant, or if it's going to be some wildcard team we haven't even thought of, or is it going to be a team that's after Durant? And then when they miss on Durant is going to say, let's refocus all these assets to to Donovan Mitchell, like a Toronto or something. And by the way, Toronto would be really interesting in a trade because Masai Ujiri negotiates that same way as Danny Ainge does. Where it's like, here's, here's what I want. And that, that I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. If it happens.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I did the thought exercise in the newsletter, I think it was last week, of literally going through not all 30 teams. I think I went through like 21, 22. The, the ones that had even a semi-realistic um, shot at a Donovan or, or reason to to want to try to take a shot at a Donovan-Mitchell trade. And I think my analysis of the Raptors is was similar to my analysis of some other teams which is that, and I'm, I'm, I want to get your opinion on this because maybe I'm off base, but like, I think Danny Ainge wants, he doesn't want, the, I think I referred to this uh, recently, he doesn't want the scratch-offs. He wants the Mega Millions tickets. Now, obviously, historically, Knicks first-round picks have slightly better odds of returning a, a decent, you know, uh, haul than uh, a Mega Millions ticket. Um, so, and And that is why he wants them, but, and as you've referred to before, if you could get enough of those unprotected, well, you know what? Maybe they're good for one of those years. Maybe they're good for two of those years, but if they're bad for one or two of the other years, um, and then only if you get lucky in the draft and then, and there you have it, you've just, you've acquired the first or second or third pick or whatever by a trade, the Raptors, along with some of these other teams that I could see getting into the Mitchell sweepstakes it, they're first of all, they're, a lot of them are well worn organizations, certainly Toronto is. And I think Miami. this falls uh, for Miami as well, which is complicated by the fact that can they trade hero to the team that could potentially give them first Who and maybe that team isn't as good, but I'm getting too far afoul. The point is, I wonder how much Danny Ainge is, is just valuing. I want to get the most picks I can from a team that has chance based on present circumstances or, or in the Knicks case, history of being really bad. And that's why I wonder if he is going to want to do a deal with the Knicks more than he will want to do a deal with almost any other team.
3: That's totally fair. I think that's a plausibility. Whenever you acquire draft picks from a team, you're, you're betting on their, or you're at least hoping on their failure moving forward. Uh, And when you are trading, draft picks for you're trading for draft picks from a team and giving up a star of John Donovan Mitchell's level where he's been an all-star three years in a row. Like you really are trying to bet on that team's future failure. So yeah, totally. I mean, that's, I think that's a huge thing. That's why I talked about the difference between like, it's not just how many picks it's the quality of the picks and yeah. and what team it's coming from factors in there too. Like that Mavs pick next year is only top 10 protected. So it's like kind of okay. And I think it becomes unprotected in 2024, right? But I, I is- actually,
2: my understanding is it converts to two seconds. If it doesn't convey in 23, 24, or 25, the, the only pick without the real serious protections is the Bucks pick. That's only top four mm-hmm. or maybe top but, five, excuse
3: me. But that's likely to be high
2: yeah and i don't know if you i i've actually
3: it's uh the Mavs. i misspoke by the way it's it's uh it's top 10 protected in 23 top 10 protected in 24 top 10 protected again in 25 uh and then it uh converts into a second two second it yeah. doesn't get paid by them so yeah. like i i don't know what
2: the best of those picks is i i i guess the i see i don't know because like the, i could actually see that wizards pick like the likelihood that it ends up at 10 or 11 or 12, I think is pretty, is much higher obviously than the likelihood the bucks pick ends up at six or seven or eight. Um, you know, so even though there's not that ceiling, but like the, none of those picks are great. And and my evidence for that, and this is another thing I want to, if I'm off base on, I want to hear your opinion. They got two of these three picks that are on the table Plus a Denver first, a protected Denver first that they used to, you know, do the Durham trade. And then they ended up getting the Milwaukee pick from Detroit and that whole thing. They got all of three picks for one pick in this draft. That was the uh, 11th pick in a draft that was seen by most people, I think, by the time of the draft to be, if not like. Was there a drop off after eight? Was there a drop off after nine? Like there was definitely a drop off at some point. And it was definitely. But by the time the Knicks were up, I think that's where the drop off started. And like, okay, you say you want to say it's not that valuable pick, but like you still got three firsts, two of which, again, the Knicks still have for a pick that was like fine. Doesn't that say as much about their value as anything?
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought. I thought what they did on draft night was fine. Yeah, I
2: I, I will. I'm I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying to now turn around and be like, oh, well, they're first round picks. We could, you know, they count just the same. That's that's my point. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's that is that is a good point. We we deem them worth 11. Although I have to say, as as someone who not a religious person, but I do believe in the basketball gods and the wizards just live in the nine to 11 range. That is just where they live. They want a gun for the playoffs and they oft fall short and, yes. and that they just live there. They're they're nine to 11, like all the time now. And uh, I think locking up Bradley beyond that contract, obviously that really affects their flexibility moving forward. That pick is top 14 protected in 23 top 12 in 24, top 10 in 25, and top 8 in 26. I, the Wizards could, could easily end up with the ninth or 10th or 11th or 12th pick at some point during that time period when the protections were removed enough for it to actually convey to the Knicks it is totally and completely plausible. Uh, I don't know what the analytics say of the likelihood based on where the Wizards are right now and last year's record and this year's team and all that, but that, that's like a real plausibility. So that, that's kind of why I think of the other team's picks. That's, that's the best one. And we might look back on that trade. I do also think that is a scenario of a team betting on another team's lack of success, right? Like, oh, for sure. I think at least it should be like, I think we could look back on that trade and be like, Oh wow. The Knicks got the 11th pick and a better draft. Plus those other picks. Plus they dumped Kemba Walker's salary. That, that looks going to look really good in retrospect if that's what happens. So, But,
2: but doesn't this go to your point about Brock Aller? Like he came out on top on draft night. He does not want to not come out on top in this trade. And at the same time, like I don't know you again you did the reporting like do you think there's a scenario where I don't want to say Leon Rhodes steps in and like basically says look I love you Brock but we, we got to do this like I, do you have any like, who knows I don't
3: I have absolutely no idea I have no, I've no I I can't predict the future I can I can report on what's happened and and how no, people no, Fred, you have to have, have acted in past situations like I do think there's pressure on the Knicks to get this done,
2: and because
3: I don't want to say, how can I phrase this the right way?
2: Uh, I don't want to put I don't want to put you getting in trouble.
3: No, no, no. Put me on the spot. No, I'm not saying that because it's going to get me in trouble. I just want to articulate myself properly to just explain because I think there's I think there is just when a front office gets hired. In part because of its connections, its relationships, and its ability to bring in big names. And then one of the big names who everybody has considered would be at or near the top of their list of big names they could potentially bring in becomes available. And it's already been two plus years with that front office. They're entering season three right now of them running the team. And that guy becomes available, and you aren't able to get that done. And there isn't another obvious star who's just next in line who you can go to a week or two later and be like, "Okay, missed out. No problem. Let's go get Devin Booker. Well, now you're not getting Devin Booker. He just extended. Okay, no problem. We'll go get Carl Anthony Towns. Well, you're not going to do that. He just extended. So there's no obvious next guy after Donovan Mitchell, at least not today. You know how the NBA works there there could be one tomorrow for all I know. but but as at least as of today, there's not a next obvious guy, and I think now you're. It's not like you're in a bad position team building wise. They they've drafted quite well, uh, and and they have a surplus of draft picks as we just talked about. There are a lot of teams that are in worse positions than they are, but you're you're just kind of failing to capitalize on the initial mission statement. The whole reason you got these picks. And these young guys was to be able to go get maybe not even someone like Donovan Mitchell, maybe even specifically Donovan Mitchell. So I do think there's just an external pressure when you have a plan to be able to just go out there and actually execute the plan when it's staring you in the face and saying, execute me now. And and that's kind of where what I mean when I say I think there's a pressure on the Knicks. At the same time, I think there's also a pressure on the jazz to be like, we want to rebuild, we want to get stuff. We don't have to trade Donovan Mitchell right now. He's got three guaranteed years left, but we're going to get more the longer his contract is. And we'd like for this situation to be over. So I think there's pressure on both sides while both sides could also convince themselves credibly that they're the ones with the leverage, which is why it's just like a really interesting trade negotiation.
2: I I completely agree. And I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say the thing that I don't think you're supposed to say as an fan right now. And I'm going to, not only agree with you, but agree with some of the national media that have, I mean, said it in different words, but essentially, like the Knicks need to do this. And uh, while I agree with everything you said about they're not in a bad spot right now, I, I am a thirty-nine-year-old Knicks fan. I would like, at some point, it, before I die, to, to root for a team that is in contention for a title. Okay. If they do not trade for Donovan Mitchell today or to whatever, this summer, what am I rooting for to happen? Okay, let's go through the things I'm rooting for to happen. I'm certainly not rooting for them to open up cap space because who the fuck knows when NBA free agency is going to return in the way that it it was, it was existed for a while. I mean, we could talk about the cap jumping up in 2025. Okay, maybe. Maybe there's some stuff that happens then. That's three years from now. All right, that's... Whatever I've lasted this long, what's three more years? Not terribly excited about rooting for the cat jump in 2025 players going to come available. Okay, am I rooting for the team to lose enough basketball games to jump up and like realistically have more than like an eight percent chance to get into the top four lottery? Well, I've done that and it's fine. I was I'm to, I was totally fine rooting for them to basketball games four years ago. Got the RJ Barrett. Okay, really nice player. Maybe you'll make an all star team, a couple all star teams someday. But this front office is not set up to make that kind of a run at a, at a top pick. That's not what they, as you just explained, that's not what they were brought here to do. That's not what they've been doing. So then it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to root for the front office to get fired and for James Donald to hire uh, Sam Hinkie or someone of that ilk. Eh, don't worry, that's not fun. That's that's not what I want going through my mind when I'm watching a new game. So then I turn to option number three, which is, well. The, the, the kids will get better this year. Maybe OB hits, maybe quickly hits, maybe crime hits. maybe RJ takes all of these things. And then we'll be in a position to trade for the next star. Okay, great. Does that star want to be in New York? Does he have years left? Out of, and if he doesn't clearly want to be in New York, how many years left does he have on his contract? Is he the 32? Like Dame Lillard's going to be, I think, right? Is Dame 30 or 31 or whatever? Dame's over 30. 30. Is he going to be, what is it?
3: The third, we'll just say thirties, wrong side, wrong side of of the most, the most insulting thing that we say about athletes, but we never (laughs) say to a person, we'd never say that to a person's face. So congrats. You're on the wrong side. side As someone who's
2: about to be on the wrong side of 40, um, I, I, I agree. You know, so then it's like 30 Andrew's typing in the chat, 32. So that's what I'm left to root for. Right. I'm left to root for, okay, well, how, how like realistically? How long is it until you know Zion gets d- d- sick of New Orleans? And uh, oh, by the way, they have a nice situation going on down there. So maybe that doesn't happen in the next two, three, four years. It, you know, does Joel Embiid get sick and tired of, of playing with James Harden? And but wait a minute, he's an MVP candidate, and he's going to be tw- he, he'll be thirty by the time he hits the trading block and. What are you giving up then to bring it like it, and I, this is where I'm at, right? This is where I'm at as a Knicks fan. And it's where I don't want to be. And for as much as I completely agree with what everybody has said, including you, it is important to negotiate here. If you are the Knicks, you do not want to give away the farm. That is bad. It's not something to do. The notion that, all right, if we don't get down with Mitchell, that's, that's fine. We're, we're still in a, no, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't co-sign that. And I, I, I'm, do you think that that's wrong of me? Because that's where I'm at right now.
3: I don't think that's wrong. Um, I, just, I just think oh, it depends I throw on the
2: on, price. Sorry, one last thing. If yeah. you assume that Ainge is going to trade Mitchell before the season, which I personally do, that's my personal opinion. I know that's not being reported, but I think he's going to move him before the season.
3: Yeah, I, I just think it depends on the price, to be honest like i just i'm i'm a i'm a big if if you can get a good deal for him, then it's a great deal uh if I'm the knicks i would not i i i i would be wary about giving up four first round four unprotected firsts I would be wary about giving up three unprotected firsts. donovan mitchell's a really good player and he's an offensive hub, and he has proven that he is nowhere near. You know, empty stats offensively. He has been the go-to guy offensively for an offense who has been number one in the league in points per possession. They, one year they actually set the record for most points per possession in NBA history. Yeah, and that was Donovan Mitchell being their top dog offensively. And 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 he's not some sort of perfect offensive hub. He's not. He's not Luca. You kind of need a point guard next to him. I don't think he's like the guy to run your offense absolutely full time, do everything. But that's okay. Like there are there are very very few Lucas. He's a really good, really good offensive player and scorer. And he was you know like had like a fifty three effective field goal percentage last year. Like he's efficient. Takes a lot of threes gets to the paint, super athletic. Like he is just a super good offensive player, but he's not, he's never made an all NBA team. I mean, he's, are are we certain he's a top eight guard? I, I think you could argue it, but I think you can, you can pretty quickly name eight guards and say, okay, well, those guys are all better than Donovan Mitchell. And and most importantly, if we're just going to talk about it like out of the realm of like just kind of bar room, who are your top eight guards conversations, I think you have to ask the question when you're giving up that many first round picks, are we guaranteed to not be bad because we have Donovan Mitchell? Yes. And I think that's a question you have to ask yourself. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is at the level where if you have Donovan Mitchell, you can't be bad. Uh. I don't think that's the case. I think if you're giving up all those protected picks or unprotected picks, assuming that's what they would have to do in a deal. I think if you're giving up all of those unprotected picks for a player, it has to be number one, a player who you are extremely confident because you have him. You're not going to be really bad because if you make that trade and you are really bad, then you're you're, you're done. You're done for years and years and years and years. You're, you're done. Uh, or two, it has to be the second or third guy in the door. So, And and that first or second guy you have in the door has to already be locked up, kind of like how the Lakers thought, we can trade everything for Anthony Davis. We already have LeBron. Or even with Minnesota, you can disagree with their logic and you can disagree with their process in trading all those picks for Gobert, but their thought process was, if we just had a rebounder and a rim protector and a defender who was elite we would have beaten Memphis. Memphis killed us on the offensive boards in that series this year. And they they assume Anthony Edwards is going to get better, which I don't disagree with. I think he's incredible. And uh, they have Carl Anthony Towns already. And they figure if we bring in Rudy Gobert with those other guys who we now have locked up for a really long time, we can't be bad. Uh, And I think you have to ask yourself that if you have only Donovan Mitchell unless you are absolutely convinced R.J. Barrett is an absolute star, and I don't think we have enough evidence to be able to be convinced of that. uh, You have to ask yourself, is giving up all of that worth it to bring in Donovan Mitchell when it's possible you could still be really bad and then you're totally screwed?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: I think that's the the second part of the conversation that you just brought up, which is like the, you're kind of hinting at, well, how do we get the other star to make sure that we're always going to be really good. I think that's a little bit different than Are we sure we're not going to be bad? I mean, look, obviously if they trade a lot for Donovan Mitchell and Donovan Mitchell twists his ankle in the, you know, in the wrong way or something in the in the sixth or tenth or whatever game of the season. Like, yeah, you're capable of being pretty bad. I I I'm I can't believe I'm saying this because I've been very critical of this front office at times. I think the front office has done a nice job in the with the finer points um of acquiring talent to the roster. I think they've done a nice job in the draft. I think like Whereas last summer's free agent moves, without question, did not work. Like the Kemba thing was a complete bust, the Noel thing was horrible. But like, they had an eye for Alec Burks. Alec Burks, I think by and large, was a good pickup for them. Like they traded for Derrick Rose. I think that was a good pickup for them. Um, I think we like the Hardenstein signing. And plus, like we're also, like Jalen Brunson, we haven't even talked about Jalen Brunson, first time we're mentioning his name. Like he's in the door now for at least the next three years you're probably going to keep RJ for, for, you know, so it's like, I, I'm, I'm not as worried about them bottoming out. Probably not as worried as I should be,
3: but here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. You're just talking about 2023. What about no, the, pick I, in 2025 I, and the pick in 2025? I'm in 2027. 100%. The pick in I, but,
2: but do you, here we go. We talked about baseball. We're doing basketball podcast. reference a little football here. You play to win the game, right? Do you not play to win conference. the game, Fred Katz?
3: Do you know how much I would give to be able to be a time traveler and not be a Knicks, not be an NBA beat reporter anymore and just be an NFL one, just so I could be at that Herm Everards press conference? <laughs> I would give anything to
2: Amazing. be the
3: person who asked the question of you play to win the game. <laughs>
2: I look, this is not to say that you throw caution to the wind with long-term planning. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that. And I do think that there is a very, very real, there are multiple, very real detriments to giving up the sort of pick package that it is quite clear that, that Danny Ainge wants and something I, I don't even, we don't really have to talk about it, but like, you know, you and others have reported that Ainge doesn't really want RJ Barrett
3: mostly it's i it's don't been, i don't well, i've mostly mused on it i, I I've, I've connected dots
2: okay yeah and Ange, the dots Ange,
3: well I'll say is the jazz uh you know my colleagues at the the athletic charania and tony jones who covers the athletic for us or covers uh the jazz for us they reported that the jazz want guys on controllable rookie scale deals yes and to me that seems to imply quickly top in Grimes right. are more favorable in their eyes because RJ is extension eligible and, and uh, you know, Tyler hero would be in the same situation as RJ because they're in yes. the same draft class. They're going to get expensive. And I think the jazz, at least according to that reporting, they want more, uh, you know, guys earlier yes. on their rookie scale deals. So I, I was more connecting dots is reporting that as like an explicit thing.
2: And, and I think they're, they're the correct dots to, connect and I and there's obviously the Knicks seem to want to hang on to RJ Barrett because he's become the face of the franchise and the whole fan base loves him and, and it, trading him would be very symbolic of like a, a move that past Knicks regimes maybe would have made
3: And well, there's yet, also and another this- reason by the way which yeah. everyone always brings up those but there's one other reason what he's, he's good he's, like he's, if, if you want to be he's very good if you want to win a lot of games with Donovan Mitchell, you need to have some good players. Like you can't just trade away all the good players. Can I ask you something though? He's good.
2: Hey, look, I, I think the world where RJ Barrett makes multiple all-star teams is not a crazy one. I think it is. It is the, I think it is the world we live in right now because he's a worker. I think there was a path for him to do that. a, A real path. I am not doubting him in that respect. And yet, Every person who covers the league and is looking at this situation. And look, you can't predict that. Who who the frick would have uh, predicted Chris Middleton when he got traded from Detroit to Milwaukee turns into a guy who's going to make the Hall of Fame probably someday. Um, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry couldn't get off the freaking bench for for the Raptors when he first got. Like, shit happens. So to say that RJ could turn into an all NBA level player, it's not that nuts. But here's the thing. At least right now, the thought process is like, okay, great. You get Donovan Mitchell. Where are you getting the second star that is going to carry you to a championship? But the implication clearly being RJ is not that star, which leads me to this question. I wonder if the Knicks had their druthers, if it only cost them, let's say, two unprotected firsts, and like, let's say, one of the protecteds, and none of the other young players, but RJ, what would they do? And I ask that only because. Was like, yeah, you'd probably get worse in the immediate future. But in terms of the conversation about having enough left over to trade for that next star, well, that's a lot easier to imagine if you have much more in terms of the picks to work with. Nobody's even talking about that. And I'm not sure we need to. I just, it was something that I had, I've been thinking a while and I wanted to bring it up to get your two cents on.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that's fair. Uh, it really would just depend on how many picks it saves you, I guess. Exactly 100, uh, but a thousand percent. Yes, but for what it's worth, I have not sensed the Knicks. My hunch is, is the Knicks are going to do what they can to keep RJ in this. Like, that's that's my hunch. I, I feel pretty solid about that. Um, you know, maybe things evolve, maybe things change from where they're at now. Negotiations go back and forth all the time, and maybe if Utah is just refusing to come off of the, you know, uh, whatever their, their, their the specifics of their stance are now, and the Knicks are just trying to find a way to get it done, you know, maybe the Knicks say, hey, would you do this for three picks if we include RJ? Because what I don't know is how Utah feels about RJ specifically. Yeah. I know, I know. That, you know, based on the reporting of my colleagues, like I said, I know that that Utah wants guys on controllable rookie scale contracts, but I don't know how Utah feels about RJ. For all I know, Danny Ange loves RJ Barrett and thinks he's yeah. tremendous and thinks he can be the next Jalen Brown. Uh, you know, I I don't I don't know how they feel about RJ. So if they really love RJ, maybe that's something they're willing to do. But, you know. It just kind of depends on how those negotiations evolve.
2: Um, man. It's, this is, like you said, this is really an interesting situation. We could sit here and we could talk about other aspects of this trade. Well,
3: because you there know. are a million iterations of it. At,
2: between the the protected pick, because how many teams have four protected picks from other teams? And it's it's not just the fact that they have those, but it's like, okay, if we take one unprotected of our own off the table, then how many of the protectors do we have to put all four? Is it four for one? Is that the Angel's valuation? Well, okay. What if we include like what if we protect one of our own picks? When is that protected pick? Is it is it in 2029? Is it twenty like you could this is a very long-winded way of asking you, I guess, a good maybe final question, which is if you had to, I always ask you, like, if you had to place your poker chip down or whatever, your not poker chip, your your roulette chip, right? Yeah.
3: I don't know. Roulette. I only okay. play blackjack in Vegas. I play blackjack until I, I, I lose enough money to where I cut myself off at Vegas Summer League. And that is, that is the only time I gamble. So I can't.
2: Whatever happen. your game of choice, if you're placing your bet, if you're placing your wager, do you like what is today? We're recording this. It's July 19th. Are, are you looking at like August 1st? Are you looking at September 1st? Are you looking at October
3: oh, 1st? I I honestly just have, I have no idea. Okay. I could be looking at tomorrow. I could be looking at August 1st. I could be looking at August 1st, 2023. <laughs> I have, I I honestly, I have, I have no idea. I, it's such a complicated situation. And there are also like other dominoes, you know, if Utah might, might feel like, there's a Kevin Durant team that they can squeeze for a lot more once the Durant trade happens, if they don't get Durant. So Utah might be thinking, let's wait on that team. You know, for all we know, Utah just loves OG Ananobi and thinks they might have a chance at OG Ananobi, but they can't go get OG Ananobi until Toronto knows about what's going to happen with, with Kevin Durant. So there, there's like a order of operations here that, that has to go. And it's plausible that, you know, we see a Kevin Durant deal go, and then we say, okay, now we know about Donovan Mitchell. And then there's the Kyrie stuff. And then there's the Russell Westbrook stuff. And there's just like, there are these four stars who are kind of waiting on something to happen. It's super weird. Like normally this point in the off season is kind of quiet and we're all done with stuff and yeah. and we're just kind of chilling talking about finished rosters. And that's not the case at all this year. But it's it's possible there's an order of operations that has to go too. So I I don't I don't know what the timing is gonna be. I I just have a feeling that the Knicks and Jazz are gonna find a way at some point to work something out. Cause because ultimately when you just when you get rid of all of the crap that we have talked about, Utah wants a huge haul. It's yes. just kind of Ridiculous for the Knicks to give up that much. So what do you do? Ultimately, it's like the Knicks can offer the best package. So Utah will want the best package. And the Knicks have wanted Donovan Mitchell for a while. And they can get Donovan Mitchell. It 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 just makes sense. Like they make tons of sense as trade partners. Uh and and ultimately things that make sense kind of tend to happen. So So I I do think he's going to get traded and I do definitely think if and when he gets traded, the Knicks are the favorites to go get him, but, but crazy stuff happens. So I, I, I'm not like, I'm still just playing blackjack. I'm not putting my roulette chip down.
2: Well, you, but you haven't, you haven't pulled yourself away from the table yet. So that's the key.
3: No, I'm not not pulling myself away from the table. I don't really know where we're going with this analogy.
2: I don't (laughs) don't don't really know where we're at. I feel
3: like we're just talking about roulette now.
2: Well, but I guess the place we're going with the analogy is like, so like right now it's all anybody could think about the longer we go and a trade doesn't happen. It's like, I guess we just kind of like, all right, well, you know, we'll go into our summer. And if it happens, it happens. But it's like, it's, that's, that is not a reason the Knicks should make this trade like today or tomorrow, but it, it is a, just speaking selfishly. It is annoying to live in this like limbo of like, everybody seems to think it's going to happen. And yet,
3: you know, it hasn't happened. I have a question for you. Sure. I feel like there's been so much made of Brunson and Mitchell's hypothetical fit together, like defensively. I feel like there hasn't been enough made of how good they could be offensively. I Like they're, they're kind of a great offensive fit where, yeah. where Mitchell can, you know, can kind of be that, that hub that I talked about, but you still have the good point guard when you, when you need to run more kind of facilitating side pick and roll need to, when, when guys are loading up on him, Brunson can still initiate stuff. And Brunson, meanwhile, is like really good off the ball and has a lot of experience playing next to heavy ball handlers. Cause he just did it next to Luca and absolutely thrived doing it next to Luca. I feel like those guys offensively, they both shoot. I feel like those guys Offensively, they're both they both shoot and they both get to the rim. Like they're they're totally different stylistically, but they're both three level scorers to a degree. Mitchell, completely. Like I, I just say,
2: Mitchell more than Brunson. Yeah.
3: Do you think? Like, what do you think of their their overall fit together?
2: Um, the defensive concerns. Like the first thing that pops in my head is first world problems. Um, haven't had it many of those. For a while now again it's like act as if right a- act as if you are building a team that someday can win a championship right and, and but at the, i i can't say i care that much because like again i used this analogy the other day like jordan pool jordan pool is going to get paid 100 million dollars very soon there were some finals games where he played like whatever 12 minutes 13 minutes like teams make difficult decisions the longer you go and you know what that stuff kind of gets forgotten and you live with it. And like, <laughs> I I, I, have, I hope there's a situation where the Knicks are <laughs> conference finals and like Jalen Brunson only plays 15 minutes because you know what? Great problems to have on offense. Um, my biggest wish about Brunson in, in, the, in relation to Mitchell is the same wish I have about Brunson just generally, which is that, he was a guy who was a little more comfortable firing away on spot up threes. It's the one part of his game that is like, because then he is truly the perfect, like, complimentary player. And obviously, we know what he could do on the ball. But he, like, it, it was apparent in the playoffs, like, that's not what he really wants to do. He will do it if he has all the time to load up and like a team leaves him there. Like he's, he, you know, he'll take the shot. But um, so from that perspective, like I don't know if I would say that it, it's the, the best pairing, but in terms of like Brunson playing off Diamond Mitchell, like how is that different from him playing off Luca? It's, I, I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell is Luca, but in terms of just how those two would play off each other, I think it's a fair comparison.
3: Yeah, I think they could be really good together offensively. I think the Knicks offense could potentially be could be really good specifically with just those two guys. I mean, the thing with Bronson, I I think whether they have Donovan Mitchell or not, I totally agree with you on the spot up stuff. Like his uh, his comfort zone is inside the three point line, which is why I always try to delineate between people. I think conflate spacing and shooting and it's not the same thing. Nope. Shooting. Shooting is the ability to make shots from far away. Spacing is your geography based on your tendencies. And people conflate it with shooting because often your ability to shoot uh influences where you stand on the court. But like Jalen Brunson's a good shooter, but he's clearly most comfortable when he's able to go inside the three-point line. I I I feel like he he he's going to have to take more spot ups this year, and it's going to be way Absolutely. more important than it was in Dallas. And I think he's going to be influenced by the spacing of the floor to do it. You know, in Dallas, he played with so many lineups with at least three shooters next to him. Four. That's not really going to be the case. Yeah, four often because they just had Cleveland at the five or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: in with the with the Knicks, like that's that's just not going to be well, the case, especially with the starters. So he's good gonna, excuse.
2: He's not um, going to have the space. I, I, I think I ask you this question every podcast. So, of course, I'm going to ask you again. With the developments and the potential for a Donovan Mitchell trade and the whole thing, uh, yes or no, Julius Randle is Nick on opening night next season?
3: I mean, yes. Still, yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, where's he going?
2: <laughs> well, that was my next follow up. And maybe this will be where we end it. Yes or no, Fred Katz, game one of next season. Your old your boy from Washington, oh, Russ. Russ, is he a Laker on opening Covering
3: him for a third time in three cities. Um,
2: oh, they would buy him out, right? If they traded for him, I think they would.
3: I would, I would assume so. Yeah. I would assume that would be. I mean, I assume you're asking because of Mark Stein's report from the other day.
2: But in and, in fairness, I pitched. I and I so I kind of stole it from Twitter. So shout out to the whoever I stole it from. that I gave credit to in the newsletter. But I had a fake. Russ trade um but like the day before Stein reported that. So I'll i give myself a little bit of a final fact.
3: Yeah. I mean I think I think the implication of the Stein report was you buy Russ out. And and look, Russ had all the stuff with with his agent Thad Fouché who who basically said any team that wants to trade for him wants to buy him out. So I, I yeah, I was more being coy. Um I yeah, I mean I still think the greatest chances. Julius Randle ends up okay. with the Knicks. I mean, look, if you're the Knicks, I I kind of get why you would only do it if you get Donovan Mitchell, but like if you're the Knicks, like you could also just do that trade if you wanted to do it. Like you could just make that trade happen if you wanted to do it and live with the dead cap hit for yeah. a year. Um like they, it might be a thing they already do, and I get if you why you want to do it if you have Donovan Mitchell because Mitchell is adding thirty plus million dollars of salary to your books for the next three years, and and Russ is an expiring contract, so you're trading four years of Randall for one year of Russ, and you deal with the dead cap hit on your books for one year, and then you you go out and get something else. So it would certainly be the largest dead cap hit in NBA history. Um, Man, but, uh, it,
2: if they if they didn't get cuz if they get Mitchell like there's only one ball and like i think everybody could agree like stylistically Brunson Mitchell RJ and Julius Randle like that's just i, I it's really tough to envision i could see them giving it a go but putting that aside like if they didn't trade for Mitchell and they did that my, i mean my god what an indictment that would be on what the team that employs Julius Randle
3: I mean, I I'm not forgetting who I'm talking to here. <laughs> like
2: wait a wait a pander.
3: I mean, look. It 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 didn't look good with Randall last year. And and no. I'm not arguing they should do that trade, by the way. I, I mean know. I but I I mean I think the logic would just be that you you just clear things out. So RJ can have a more natural role and Obi Toppin can have a more natural role and the rest of those guys can have a more natural role. But I also think in doing that deal only after a Mitchell trade, you're like, you're punting on your ceiling for the immediate season. Like you really are because your absolute ceiling is Julius Randle. I don't think anybody thinks Julius Randle is going to become the player he was during his all in no. season, but yeah. your absolute ceiling is if Julius Randle just becomes a good player again, which yes. he was like, he was a, he was a good player. His season in new Orleans, he had a yep. 60% true shooting percentage and yep. was, was lived around the rim and all those things. Like your, your, your ceiling is met in the immediate future. After you trade Donovan, trade for Donovan Mitchell. If it happens, your ceiling is met. By Julius Randall becoming good again, and then you have r- good Randall, Brunson, who's good, Mitchell, who's really good, r j makes a leap, maybe quickly makes a leap, and the rest of the guys that you have, and all of a sudden, like that's a that's a pretty nice squad yep. like if you just make that trade and you just get rid of the guy who you thought was your best player by far a year ago, then you're basically and, and taking a $47 million <laughs> cap hit. Uh, and by the way, it wouldn't just be Randall because the math doesn't work on just Randall.
2: No, it has to be Fournier too.
3: Yeah, it's got to be Randall and Fournier. And, and you're just giving away those guys to bring back nothing. And like, yeah, I, Fournier I, is good. Like Fournier is good. Yeah. This is the Joe Johnson corollary where people look at somebody's contract and they're like, that's a big contract. And thus, that guy is not good. And because we have so much negative energy pointed to the contract, the negative energy then uh, traverses over to how we talk about the player overall. So when Joe Johnson signs for like a minimum as a buyout guy with the Miami heat and helps yeah. them in the playoffs, we're like, Oh, Joe Johnson's not good. Joe Johnson is totally good. He was just on a ridiculously large contract. And so that color, the way we looked at him and I feel similarly about Fournier, he's an excellent shooter and can help if he's in the right situation. No question. He's just on a really big contract.
2: Completely agree with you. The The, the Randall thing is obviously a little bit more complicated because if if he is if he is less than gruntled, our goal, our goal should always all to be, be gruntled, right?
3: One, one more thing on Randall. Please. The implication of that trade is that Julius ran, adding subtracting Westbrook and adding Randall makes the Lakers better. Randall actually was, was pretty good that season. He played New Orleans with Anthony Davis. He was. Uh, we know they have some positive dynamic if he's going to play like he did in New Orleans. Are we convinced that a starting front court of LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Anthony Davis is going to be like world beating, as in terms of just the way their actual basketball skills mesh? Like, aren't we talking about, and the Lakers aren't really going to be starting other shooters at the other positions? Like, I was about to say, are we convinced that that is something that you want to lock into in the long term? Especially, like, what if you make that trade, the Lakers who have been pretty obsessive about wanting to have cap space open a couple of years down the line. They don't like giving out long-term contracts. Like, are we convinced that the Lakers can offer LeBron James an extension? Like if he turns that down, then they're going to have a really, really tough decision on their hands about what to do for the future. And like, are we convinced they want to put themselves in a position to where they now have Julius Randall next to Anthony Davis for four more years? I I don't know. I'm just not, I'm just, well, I, I'm not obsessed with that trade from either angle. To be I'm,
2: honest, I'm I'm not either, and I, I because it's not only that it's are, do they believe in it enough to give up one of those future firsts, which then goes kicks it back to the Knicks, and it's like it's the it's literally the conversation we had to start the podcast. The Knicks don't like to lose trades, they and the notion that they're just going to trade away a guy who was an MVP candidate two year or whatever a year and a half ago for a guy that they're going to pay $47 million to not play basketball is does not pass the smell test of this, at least how this front office has operated thus thus far to not, not, not yeah, to me at least. So.
3: Totally. I mean, look, it would be selling trading Randall for someone who you can just release. I, I mean, I, I guess if you get two first round picks, then, then we can call her this conversation. Oh yeah, generally. Give me one Fred. One. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take the one. But trading Randall for somebody who you just release is uh, that's that's selling as low on him as you're gonna sell, Okay. Right? Yeah. And I, maybe I guess I, I'll accept an argument for if you attach picks for Randall to trade him for an expiring contract, then like maybe that's as low as possible. But like we're we're treading on as low as possible here. This it's this just isn't a, a front office that, that seems to me like it's a sell at the lowest point kind of front office. They just they don't necessarily love to work that way. There's a reason why we keep hearing, oh, they've been really open to getting off of Evan Fournier and they're not getting off of Evan Fournier. You know, yeah. it's it's not because it's not true that they're not open to getting off of Evan Fournier. No, they it's want that because value. it's because exactly they're saying. Well, yeah, we're open to getting off of Evan Fournier, but we're not attaching a first rounder to get off of Evan Fournier. And other teams are being like, well, we want something to take on Fournier. And they're 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 just not able to meet in the middle. Same thing with Cam Reddish. Like they traded a first for Cam Reddish. And I think they're they're uh I don't know if wary is the right word, but they're 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 aware of the fact they traded a first for Cam Reddish. And I think they're they've spoken to teams about Cam Reddish this offseason. They spoke to teams about Cam Reddish leading up to the draft, but they're not just trying to flip Cam Reddish for, you know, some second rounder yeah. after they traded a first for him. Like they being open to trading someone, being open to listening to offers for someone is very different from just doing it at any cost whatsoever. And I think that's where um, there's a dissonance in this front office. And that's why I kind of just don't think a Randall deal will happen at least right now. If Randall comes out and he kills it for the first month, two months, oh, yeah. three months of the season, maybe we see something before the deadline. Maybe we see something next summer that that's possible. I'm just talking about like right now.
2: Yeah, no, hundred um, percent.
3: You know, what's going to happen. He's going to get traded. I'm going to look like an idiot.
2: <laughs> no, I, but here's the thing. Uh, no one who said anything about Julius Randall, Um, most especially you, is going to look like an idiot when something does or does not happen because I I said it at the end of the the season, going into the offseason, and I'll say it again now, I think it's arguably not the most confusing situation in the NBA because that's the wrong word, but just in terms of like, where are the Knicks at on Julius Randle internally in terms of like, man, boy, are we frightened about having a repeat of what the hell happened last year versus, hey, you know what? We we're gonna show faith in this guy. We believe in all the family bullshit that we sell. We're gonna get this right. We're gonna get, you know, we're gonna the, the David Fisdale to Emmanuel Moutier style. We're I'm gonna get you right. Um, I you know, you could you could tell me either of those things. And I, I I would believe either of them. Um, but I guess we'll we'll find out soon enough. Fred, you're amazing. Um are you watching the All-Star game? Are you going to watch well, the All-Star Game?
3: Of course I'm gonna watch the All-Star Game. Watched the Jeter documentary last night. Haven't, I, 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 every it. Of I haven't. watched want to watch that. I haven't watched it. It was exactly what I expected. It was so Derek Jeter. <laughs> it was everything that I expected. It was just as a kid who grew up in the nineties and watched. I feel like in the nineties and two thousands and 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 watched like every Derek Jeter. Interview possible and read his autobiography that he did with Jack Curry and uh just has, has followed Derek Jeter so closely for so long. I expected to learn quite little, and it's what I got. And you know what? I'm gonna watch every single one. Some of the old footage, <laughs> some of the old footage was cool, though. Like the footage of him getting drafted was cool. The high school the high school footage of him was 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 pretty cool um yeah i'm just gonna watch it for like this nostalgia of seeing the ninety eight yankees and maybe i'll get a good Jorge Posada story out of it.
2: Oh there you go. You, this isn't Yankees related but you know it would be poetic if the you'll uh, be proud of me Andrew that I know this. If the All-Star game that is again happening tonight as we're recording this and that will already have happened by the time you're listening to this. So I'll probably be proven wrong, but if it ends in a tie and then it goes to a home run derby mm-hmm. and isn't Pete Alonzo, one of the guys well, you, in that you pick three random
4: players, and obviously the most prolific national league home run hitter okay. over the past three years. But like, it's even more fun if it's the American league because it's Otani judge and then do you go Stanton or do you go Mike Trout, you know? Like there well, are options.
2: What I was going to say is if they it went to extra innings and Pete Alonso wins it for the National League with a with a home run in whatever extra innings I guess you call it and at that time Diamond Mitchell to the Knicks.
4: Oh. <laughs> And it's (laughs) everything, Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Exactly. For those who don't know, we're talking about and care um, the major league baseball, all-star game. If it's tied after nine innings, each league will then pick three players and they're going to have like a mini home run derby. And the the league with the most home runs amongst the three players wins. So it's basically a, a shootout in, in baseball. It's the Very best
3: cool. rule that MLB has made a lot of rules, mm-hmm. new rules in the last know, five years. And they're all about like speeding up the game or whatever. This one for All Star is the mm-hmm. best rule MLB's made in five years. I agree. I, I hope it, I it's, hope a, it's a great idea. I'm rooting it's for a great tie idea tonight. Oh, who <laughs> rooting, rooting for a tie? I'm gonna <laughs> watch, and it's gonna make me watch the whole thing. Normally, yep. I watch the first five innings, and I'm like, okay, gonna have dinner, come back, you know. But now I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay to the end if if it has a chance of being a tie.
4: Even okay. more so, Fred, as a Mets fan who usually gets one player in, I usually just tuned in for that, like, oh, that one Michael Conforto at bat, or that one Jacob DeGrom inning, and then I'm out. Now I actually yeah. want to see how the game ends. Cause my guy might be in that home run derby. Oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah. And as of last night during the home run derby, I'm officially a baseball conspiracist now. Yes. Because
4: 100% because
3: I am, I am totally and completely convinced that Kyle Schwarber threw his home runs, for Albert Pujols. He mm-hmm. was like one short of Albert Pujols with like 30 seconds left. And he just started taking his time. He was digging in. He was taking four seconds between pitches. I'm like, oh, as soon as he finished, he started, started doing the, the, the hands up down praise mm-hmm. of Albert Pujols. I'm like, oh, this, this dude is totally throwing it. So Albert Pujols can win. I'll go so a step further. I think they're going to make a tide so that you can get a home run derby. That's my conspiracy.
4: I think Soto was trying to do it too, but like at a certain point he'd have to like take pitches and swing and miss, which would have blown the conspiracy. And he's like, all right, I did what I could to make this look close. I'm going to have to knock out our report. John has no idea what we're talking about. I right did now. not you watch it.
3: A <laughs> a second second. I know what I, I know. No, I, I saw I'm fine with like it. Trendy.
4: Yeah. 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 It was I great would- TV. It was. It was. Yes. It was um, great.
3: It was great to see like Pujols' kids there and realize that his kids are significantly closer in age to every person he was competing against than he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like significantly closer.
4: A lot of old moments lately. Matt Holiday's kid goes number one overall in the draft. Albert Pujols. Andrew Jones' is, yeah. Andrew Andrew goes Jones's kid two. goes number two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Albert Pujols' kids are that he used to have like in his arms when they were celebrating like division titles and. World Series titles that may have had to go through the 2006 Mets. Um, yeah. Like now they're a year away from like graduating high school and potentially being prospects. Wow. So,
3: yeah. No, I, I know. And there he's not, he wasn't even a young dad. No, he just,
4: <laughs> he's like had a kid at 25. Now the kid's 17. It's like a normal.
3: Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> age. He's an MLB player with high school kids. Yeah. he has been around for so long.
4: I also did enjoy the Jeter part one of the Jeter propaganda. You hit it with the footage of being the difference maker. The last dance I thought was largely Nike Jordan propaganda, but the behind the scenes footage of the last dance and seeing like these moments that we know about, like, Oh, Michael Jordan hit a game winning shot against the jazz getting to see what he did after that was the cool thing. Knowing Derek Jeter went six to the Yankees, actually seeing him react to it is like the, Oh, I, I, did not ever see this before. This is pretty cool. This visualizes the context of that.
2: You know, I got to watch it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make time. Yeah. Um, Fred, you're the man. Uh, where can folks find you and your stuff?
3: Just read my stuff over at the athletic. Follow me on Twitter at Fred Um, And uh, you know, at the beginning of, of last season, I said that I wanted to be upgraded at some point to friend of the show. And I'm going to declare it. I feel like I've become friend of the show. Oh, so 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 I guess you can find me as a friend of the show. I'm
2: yeah. Sure. Yeah. You graduated past that. I don't I don't
4: family. Well, mo- you're cousin of the show now. Yes. <laughs> cousin. Of yeah. the show? Stepbrother yeah. of the show, even.
3: Yeah. I don't like stepbrother. Stepbrother right, has fine. a weird connotation. You don't have, have to be blood. No to really like.
4: You don't have to be blood to yeah. be family. You're a brother <laughs> of the show. Okay. <laughs> you're co- yeah. you're
2: consigliere to the show, I'll
4: There look. we go. Wow. That's even better.
2: All right. Hope you enjoyed. That conversation with Fred, he uh, is so kind to always join us and talk about his pieces and shed some insight on stuff. I've really come to enjoy talking to Fred. He's been a great addition to the Knicks beat uh, this year and look forward to having him for many, many more years to come. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, I skirted past whether there was any news or anything. I, I guess I should say that since I recorded the pod with Fred and right now, the Uh, Jalen Brunson introductory um, television special, I guess aired on MSG. I watched it. And if I thought there was anything interesting that I should report on from that special, I would have done so now, but alas, here we are. Uh, That's it. Uh, If you dig the show, subscribe, uh, leave a five-star rating, leave a nice review. Those things all help us out. Um, Thank you belatedly to anyone listening who helped us get over 10,000 YouTube subscribers. That was a big deal to us. And I think that's it. We'll be back with another podcast before the end of the week, but uh, until then be well. Talk to you soon. Peace out.
5: mypatriotsupply.com